There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Sequel Cast. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. The Sequel Cast is a podcast where every episode we review a movie of a franchise. This time around, we're covering animated movies based on Tolkien's Hobbit and Lord of the Rings cycle. We're starting out with The Hobbit, a 1977 cartoon done by Rankin Bass. With me are two people Elrond the Elf. We have Elrond the Elf and Thrasher. And Thrasher, okay. So a guest from Middle Earth and one uh, not from Middle Earth. I actually never realized this uh, Hobbit animated film was from 1977, but before we go into that, I want to point out, please visit our website at SequelCast.com. If you like or hate the show, uh, rate us on iTunes, or you can send me an email at SequelCast at gmail.com, or follow the Twitter feed at, at Twitter.com slash SequelCast. And of course, if you hold your computer up in the night, you'll be able to see the moon runes. What is a hobbit? Well, a hobbit is like a halfling, but copyrighted by the Tolkien estate. <laughs> a halfling is a hobbit trying to avoid a lawsuit. They're, they're a diminutive race of people uh, they, with the thick soles on their feet, big feet, fuzzy feet, and as Leonard Nimoy put it, hobbits are peace-loving folk, you know. They're never in a hurry, and they take things slow. They don't like to travel away from home. They just like to eat and be left alone. Uh, Leonard Nimoy did a number called The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. You know what's weird? When I keep watching this movie, I keep thinking that Nimoy lent a voice to, like, half the characters. Because all the voices have a tremendous amount of gravitas. Uh, uh, and I, I do want to say John Huston as Gandalf. Yes. Wonderful. And it's not like and it's not like that would be the first or last time he was involved in animation. He was also the narrator on Disney's ill-fated The Black Cauldron. And he was the lawgiver on Battle for the Planet of the Apes, the last of the original Planet of the Apes films. Not a very good Planet of the Apes film, I might add, although Planet of the Apes might be fun to do in the future on this show. Uh, oh, and easily, easily. I, There's so many of them. Oh, yeah. But um, I, I, about... I do want to say, speaking of some of the voice casts you mentioned... John Huston was a famous film director. He's also the father of Angelica Huston, an actress who is not very attractive. What? Oh, come on. And there's also, in the movie, uh, one of the elf kings, the one that looks green and short, the voice is done by Otto Preminger, who is another famous uh, film director. He was also Mr. Freeze on the, the Batman series with Adam West. Oh. oh, the one where this was painted. That's interesting. Oh, no, well, I was going to talk about um, a little bit about uh, Orson Bean, who plays the main character, who plays the Hobbitess, mm. uh, Bilbo Baggins. Very cool American actor. He's been he's been on, like, I saw him once on How I Met Your Mother. That's, that's my little thing of research. But my favorite thing is he plays Dr. Lester in Being John Malkovich. Oh. He plays the boss of John Cusack's character. But yeah, let's talk about these voices. I think you're absolutely right that there's this gravitas. It's, just, it's very dramatic. There's lots of yelling, and there's there's lots of, like, oh, no, trolls, and, and these just these great voices. And who does the trolls, the goblins? 
are just these terrifying voices. Well, you know, this being a Rankin Bass production, I would not be at all surprised if uh, various characters, if various actors weren't doing double or even triple duty on characters and just lending their voices wherever they could be brought in. But let's get a little bit into the story uh, for those who don't know anything about uh, Tolkien. So had you read The Hobbit before watching this cartoon whenever you watched it for the very first time? or cause That's this... right, it's also based on a book. I had not. I still have not actually read the entire book. Oh, it's... um somewhere near the Riverdale. I, it's, it's funny, I actually did read the book first. Interestingly enough, my first ever exposure to The Hobbit was catching the last 15 minutes of the last animated Tolkien movie uh, and really not knowing what the hell was going on, but knowing I wanted to see more and knowing that I could crack people up impersonating Gollum. But anyway, th- th- do you guys remember there was a period in the 80s where there used to be this lengthy, almost infomercial-style commercial for The Hobbit on VHS? This this live action one would come out talking about how amazing The Hobbit was and you know getting the award winning movie on VHS and I remember seeing that just all the time uh, when I was younger. Well, finally, I'd gotten a copy of uh, of The Hobbit from my uncle Alan, you know, a great guy, uh, very very well read, uh, always knows how to find the best books for you. Our family took a massive cross-country road trip. My mother, my father, myself, and my brother. And I brought The Hobbit, and I would actually read The Hobbit out loud to my brother while we were on the trip. Doing oh, courses cool. for various characters. And it's a long book, so it actually outlasted the trip. It probably took probably took almost a year to read, reading it off and on out loud. That's funny. Mm-hmm. I have something similar where my dad had never read the book, but he knew people in... Uh, college and when he was in the marines that had read it and recommended it to him so we got us some hardcover version with these uh, wonderful wonderful illustrations and he read it out loud to my sister and i before he went to bed and it took several years because as you mentioned the hobbit is a long book tonkin is pretty dense well and i, I was doing some research and as i mentioned before this uh, hobbit cartoon movie we're reviewing was done for TV, released in 77. The New York Times has an archived article from the time of the release, and they talk to Arthur Rankin Jr., who is one part of Rankin Bass. And he actually is linking Star Wars to The Hobbit, because Star Wars also came out in 77. And in this he says, uh, quote, The old wizard with the force in Star Wars, that's Gandalf, the wizard of the Hobbit, the young fellow having adventures, good versus evil. That's the White Tower versus the Black Tower in The Lord of the Rings. Uh, well, that's a bit of a stretch. Is it? Because you have the dark side versus the light side. There is the darkness of Sauron. And... Well, well we, we are at that point, though, we're, you know, we're going into to, to the you know, Campbellian mythology. There is only one battle between good and evil. We're just constantly retelling and reliving that battle. You know, there really is only one old wise man with magical powers. He just keeps showing up in all these different stories. I used to have a version of The Hobbit based off of this cartoon. It was a little tiny book that came with an audio cassette where it would read the book out loud using clips from the uh, cartoon with voices and music. It is well worth looking into the career of uh, the man who voiced Gollum in this. His name is Brother Theodore. And you know what he did just uh, one year before The Hobbit? Massage parlor hookers. And I don't mean did them as in had sex with them, although the, I mean that can either be proven or disproven, but actually starred in Massage Parlor Hookers. Yep, yep. And, of course, Rook in The Last Unicorn, another great Rankin-Bass production. My favorite creation of theirs, 
Thundercats. That was Rankin Bass? I recognize Rankin Bass from the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer stop motion. They have very wide careers in animation. Not only did they do a tremendous amount of Christmas and other holiday specials throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, all the way up through the 80s, actually. Uh, they uh, They also did Thundercats. Tiger Sharks, which was part of the comic strip, which is a whole other pro- it was a whole programming block they they developed. Watching it recently again for the first time in quite a long time, I'm really struck by how detailed the artwork and the backgrounds and the character designs are. The animation might be quite limited as far as the frames and what the people are doing on screen. Isn't that they use the map that's in the front of the real Hobbit book when they refer to that? Yes. You know what I love? I love the design for the goblins. I love the design for they're fucking uh, terrifying. The ogres, they seemed very much closer to the the trolls and stuff that I've seen in older fairy tale books. When like, I saw those would, trolls, it really reminded me of the uh, the trolls in the David the Gnome animated series. Yes. yes. The wolves, when there are goblins riding wolves. But there's a moment where the goblins sort of have the hobbits captured, and the goblin king goes really close to one of the hobbits and opens his mouth really wide over the head as if he's going to chomp down on it. And then he pauses. Even though it's a cartoon, it really takes itself pretty seriously. Any jokes they have in there or stuff from the book, it's really pretty faithful. Well, that's one of the things that's very, very good about this. It's not trying to be a kid's movie. It's trying to be a legitimate, serious fantasy adventure. And as a result, it does dip into those dark places, and then it does pull out for a lighter tone. But it never settles on trying to be friendly for a particular audience. Jason, can you summarize The Hobbit in a few sentences? A thief hired by dwarves to steal back the treasure that a dragon has as the adventure of getting to the horde and besting the dragon. And of course, everything that comes in their way to stop their adventure. Because it's pretty, it's a pretty lengthy story. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the dwarves. Because you have, uh, what, how many dwarves? Twelve or thirteen, I thought. Because he's the thirteenth. He's huh. the lucky number. They come to uh, Bilbo's house... They kind of get him to agree to come. They get him to sign a contract saying he'll be their thief. And he's not a thief, but yet he is very good at finding stuff. He seems to be a lucky token where a lot of bad stuff happens to, but he survives it. But do they assume Um, because he's a hobbit, a little person, that he's good at stealing things? That's the stereotype that hobbits and halflings, and to a certain extent gnomes, have had to deal with uh, ever since they've started cropping up uh, in fantasy epics. This is why a, a halfling or a hobbit is good for that. They've got excellent feet, so I think they'd be easily able to find pressure plates. It's a plus 20 to detect traps. It's entirely possible that Gandalf, being you know magic and mystical, is like, oh gosh, in the future we're going to have to destroy a ring. I better orchestrate it so a hobbit can find it. Hey, you dwarves! And Gandalf's just playing everybody uh, against each other so that... Just as this book, in a way, sets up the Lord of the Rings trilogy, he can set up the events which will lead to Sauron's downfall in the Lord of the Rings. You know what? I could agree with that because every time they seem to get into trouble, he's not there. And then he shows up and saves the day. Well, and arguably, Against- that's the formula for the first half of this story is yes. the hobbits and the dwarves find themselves in deep shit. And then ba-ba-da-ba, Gandalf shows up, does a spell, turns people into stone or whatever. And they're like, okay, let's go on the next adventure. But I think the dwarves 
have such a weird design in this. They don't look like what you might traditionally think of dwarves uh, in Dungeons and Dragons or something. They look like garden gnomes, a lot of them. Bomber, who is voiced by the immortal Paul Frees, who you may remember as Ludwig von Drake and Boris Badenov. Dory and Lori, I guess. They're, a bunch, they're just a bunch of different named uh, dwarves, and they have these short cropped beards underneath their chins but no mustache. They look very much like uh, garden gnomes. And then you have the ones that are kind of elongated, that have big honking noses, and they look, I guess they look very troll-like, but I guess they are dwarves because they all have beards. You know, you can't talk about the dwarves without talking about this intro sequence where Gandalf and the dwarves pitch Bilbo Baggins on the idea of coming along with them to help steal treasure from the dragon. And you get a song that's, the words are ripped right out of the original novel by J.R.R. Tolkien about... Oh, over misty mountains cold. No, 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 not that. The uh, carefully, carefully with the plates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. Oh, yeah. Chip the glasses, crank the plates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. That's what Bilbo Baggins hates. So carefully, carefully with the plates. Except yes. in the animation, they don't show any plates breaking. They just show them shaking things and Bilbo looking nervous. Well, as I recall in the book, they don't break them. They just like to sing about threatening to break them. <laughs> Does that mean Bilbo is like Woody Allen? Guys, please don't break the plates. I gotta make a bit more room for my Sunni pork. Just, just be careful. I mean, those, those. I've had those plates forever. Just, just don't break. Oh goodness. Um. What do you think about the music in here by Glenn Yarbrough? I don't like a good deal of it, which is probably gonna get me into trouble with so many people. There are parts of it that I find very repetitive and I do, there are parts of it I don't like because they keep repeating and it's like, yeah, I already heard that verse before. I don't need to know again that it's the greatest adventure. You don't have to tell me seven times. The verses are also very literal. They have to do exactly what's going on in that scene. Well, you know, that that may just be a fault of adapting it because the, if you forget, the book has huge sections, these kind of lyrical poems that sometimes the characters are, are, are singing or that, you know, fills in a gap between chapters. And I, I feel the makers of this movie sort of felt married to that, that, you know, we have, if a song shows up in the book, we better have a song in the, we better put that song in the movie. When you tell a story in a book, especially in a big, volu- a big lengthy tome like that, you can get away with digressing into these lyrical sections. But in a movie, that just does not work. Unless it's a big musical production number, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Suddenly, for the next couple of minutes, these we're going to have a droning voices chanting about dwarf mines while we show scenes of people walking around. Maybe they did this in the style of some of the uh, the Disney musicals of the cartoons, where those are musicals too. And like the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Rankin-Bass Stop Motion, what had song and dance numbers. But there is all the poetry and stuff in the books, and some of those are songs and some aren't. Uh, even though Glenn Yarbrough's vocal stylings make him sound like a goat, I enjoy The Greatest Adventure. I think it, it's pretty good lyrics, at least. And, why don't and we... it goes a little something like this. The greatest adventure is what lies ahead today and tomorrow are yet to be said. The chances, the changes are all yours to make. The mold of your life is in your hands to break. 
but there's also songs during almost any battle sequence, whether it's the goblins going, take the hobbit stone to goblin town. That always took me out of the movie, and I, I understand some music, but this seemed to have a little bit too much, and it certainly isn't as surreal as the numbers we'll see in the Return of the King animated cartoon. Well, you know, I think I think that that's kind of a thing, because... You know, mu- musicals, by their nature, are artificial. You know, yes. the, the moment you have people singing and dancing, you're admitting that everything going on is fake, because that just does not happen. And and the thing that, that I think, again, is something else lost in the translation, in the book The Hobbit, when these songs show up, they're really supposed to be kind of like, like folk songs. Like when the Come Down to Goblin Town, Yo Ho My Lad shows up in the book, you could almost imagine all the goblins singing that like it's one of those work songs designed to keep keep your rhythm going while you're you know marching slaves into the catacombs mm-hmm. but of course once you put that music that into the movie there's a temptation to make it into a production number and they don't quite go all out into a production number which i think would be very inappropriate but they don't just make it just part of the background of something the goblins are doing while they're going about their their task and, and i think that's one of the reasons why that particular number can bring you out of the movie let's talk about the elves there there's obviously- two different elves i got confused by that why well, there's Elrond, who has, like, some really cool winter frost crown thing above and around his head that doesn't actually touch his head. And he seems very eloquent, because he's an, um, an archivist. He seems to know a lot about the map. He knows about moon runes, which can only be seen at night. When I, I have don't to say, that... the way Elrond looks in this reminds me very much of how they had a Hugo Weaving look as Elrond in the Lord of the Rings uh, live-action movies. But then the other elves... Nothing like the uh, wood elves. Later in the cartoon, you see wood elves, and they look what I think like goblins or gremlins or something. Well, funny enough, they actually look kind of like the Grinch if you shaved them. In the Tolkien stuff, the humans are always portrayed as dicks, I think. (laughs) You know, they're very self-important. They think they're number one. But at the same time, when they get to uh, Riverdale, when they get to the... Riverdale. Riverdale is where Archie and his pals hung out. The humans do have respect for the king of the mountain, for the actual dwarves. I mean, you have all these different races, you have the encounters with everyone, and also the animals all seem very intelligent. At one point, when there's going to be the big war, they call on the eagles, and one of the eagles is able to talk. But it seems that everyone has a good relationship with the natural world. There seems to be a decent amount of respect uh, going on between the different factions and forces. But then, of course, there is actually a lot of of tension between the races, because the wood elves don't like the humans. The dwarves kind of feel they're entitled to a lot, um, especially when they get to the mountain, because the mountain used to be owned by the dwarves, until, of course, Smog, the dragon, took it from them, and the horde as well. What do you think about the way uh, Gollum is portrayed in this? I love it. I mean, it's it's a good, creepy Gollum, and and uh, in, in Peter Jackson's uh, Lord of the Rings, you, you get you get Gollum. You know, he he really looks like a he looks like what 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 happens to a Hobbit after a lifetime of heroin abuse. He's the Iggy Pop of Hobbits. But in in this, Gollum is like is is like an alien. He he has been the Ring hasn't just corrupted him. The Ring and the Isolation have have actually turned him into something completely other than what he once was. I agree. I wish Gollum would have been more monstrous in the Peter Jackson films. I'm sure it's colored by how much I watched this cartoon when I was younger. But also, look at the design. He looks like a blind fish. It's such a beautiful, beautiful design. And it is terrifying. I mean, when when I saw it when I was younger and finally did see it, it did disturb me to a certain extent. Let's work our way towards the end. After multiple adventures, Bilbo Baggins and the dwarves get to the cave where the dragon Smaug is 
guarding the uh, ancient dwarven treasures. I think Smog's a cool design. Looks the, a bit the, like the a cat. It looks, you're very right. It does look very much like a cat. To an extent, it does. And, and yet, I'm, all, I'm kind of wondering if maybe that happened because they were trying to make a hybridization between the classic Western and Eastern dragons. You know, like, like Asian dragons also often have lion features, and it could just be that as this character designed and developed, the, the Eastern characteristics that work in the design kind of became full-blown feline. If I were the dragon, yeah, the um, automatic thing I do because I'm kind of invulnerable to it is start lighting the horde on fire, make the room as hot as possible, and that'll get rid of any intruders. Again, you can't if you can't be shot or anything. If your weak point is underneath your body, just stay in the just stay in the horde room. Well, he probably has to leave to eat sometimes, and, and dragons are prideful beasts. If you've injured their pride, they will follow you. The sequence between Bilbo and Smog is a very <laughs> lengthy sequence where it's not quite like they're giving each other riddles, but it reminds me of the Gollum sequence in some ways. It's a bit of a battle of wits instead of... There's like a back and forth. Because with the ring on, Bilbo appears invisible. It reminds me of the Odyssey almost as well. It's like the Cyclops. Um, when he pierces the Cyclops' eyes and he, and he says... Oh, I'm nobody. And who blinded you, brother? Nobody blinded me. Nobody. It's the idea of like, well, I'm not going to give you my name. You'll have to guess it. And that's infuriating, because what are dragons but collectors of knowledge as well? Because they're long-lived beasts. I the like animation. the close-up of the dragon's belly, where he has his weak spot. Again, no, there were some beautiful shots in that, and that one in particular, when he strikes it down. And here's another thing that's interesting with this movie. Whenever, like, a certain weapon is unleashed, or uh, uh, an arrow is fired, there's such significance put on the drawing of the blade or perhaps the flight of the arrow and it gets its own animation sequence which you can almost kind of extrapolate to today's like uh like dragon ball z like anime attack sequences yeah exactly and they get like a big flash when it hits or uh like sting itself has a beautiful sparkle and they get like their own kind of music to it as well it's almost as if the weapon itself is a character there's a few different swords that dwarves have because they stole they got them from the the uh trolls horde but they and every single one of those weapons was like an elvish uh master crafted uh <laughs> weapon, which glowed or did something amazing so when they actually take it into the final battle they're able to do such cool things the gm couldn't wait for them to level up so he snuck in some powered weapons into the horde the final yeah, battle of the film is something i almost completely forgot about it's not a the theme of the story that sticks out but i do think in 2012 guillermo del toro is going to come out with a movie of the hobbit uh, produced by the peter jackson the same people that did the live action lord of the rings movies they keep talking yeah. about it has anything actually gone forward they're working think, uh, on the script uh, ian mckellen is confirmed to be back as gandalf and awesome. the guy that did uh, Gollum, Andy Serkis, is also confirmed, but that's all they've said. And from what I understand, they're doing something really weird where they're going to do it as two movies, and the second yes. movie will be kind of a bridge between <laughs> Hobbit and Lord of the Rings based on information in the appendices of Return of the King. What? Wow, can you say milking it? Milking out the Tolkien teat. Well, here's the thing is, we saw little clips and bits of the Hobbit in the, in the, uh, the movies, Who's who's gonna play who's gonna play Bilbo? They don't know that yet. There's it's all up in the air. One suggestion I heard on the OneRing.net podcast is they were recommending mm-hmm. Martin Freeman, the one of the main actors in the British version of The Office. He was in oh, Hitch- yes. He was in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He's very clumsy in uh, movies and oh, stuff. Oh yes. And he gives those great mugs to the audience. He I could easily see him as the Hobbit, but he probably won't get the he probably won't get it. 
towards the end, it almost feels like the end of the movie, in a way. Because Bilbo gets a treasure from the dragon, the dwarves know, oh, this is where our treasure is for sure, and then suddenly some armies arrive. Well, it's weird because, yeah, you have, once Smog is killed, why the hell do the goblins march on the humans and the elves? Well, there's no dragon to get in their way anymore. So is everybody vying for the mountain? And the, the, I guess the wood elves show up, the humans are going to fight, they have all these people that are willing to fight for this mountain, and... It wasn't, was it really that big a horde? Come on. It, it's a medieval pre-industrial world. You aren't going to get m- many giant armies. Well, sure. when you're watching a low-budget animation where the whole battle is conveyed by dots moving around on a map, that takes something away from it. But I do think this uh, could be quite an exciting sequence in the live-action movie. Well, of course. He did a beautiful job with the battle sequences in the movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, things and such. They're all amazing, and they're all CGI beautifulness. Once you have that, and you're able to focus on certain characters actually dying. Because, yeah, almost all the all the dwarves die, correct? Because, really, it's kind of a cleaning of the slate. Because none of those characters are going to be back for the sequel, <laughs> except for Bilbo, who doesn't do much fighting. No, and speaking of the dwarves, one of the dwarves that goes along with Bilbo on this adventure in The Hobbit is Gloin. And Gimli, the main dwarf in Lord of the Rings, is the son of Gloin. So oh, really? That's a slight connection between the two. Of course, the ring Bilbo gets from Gollum in this one is very important in Lord of the Rings. It, it's the ring, in fact. It's the titular ring. Any closing thoughts on The Hobbit before we say what we thought of it overall? I really wish I wasn't sick so I could do my impression of the Gollum. Will, you do a good Gollum. Gollum! Gollum! Ah, it treasures and precious. There really is no other piece of animation that looks like this. It is visually amazing. This style, you will not see anything that looks like this. Yeah, it stays with it you. It is so I mean, unique. It was a part of my childhood. I remember it so clearly because of that. Yeah, I have to say it. this held up surprisingly well. I think if you can look past some of the limitations of the animation, and it helps if you're somewhat familiar with the Hobbit story before seeing this uh, animated adaptation of it. But the voice work and the uh, the background art and the character designs help carry you through some of the rough parts. Mm-hmm. I would highly recommend you rent or even buy this uh, animated 1977 Rankin-Bass uh, version of The Hobbit. No, yes, it, it is very enjoyable. I would definitely recommend seeing it. As would I. I normally don't say this, but I would say uh, read the book first. Uh, read read the book first because this movie does go through the whole novel very quickly. You're, you're going to want those gaps filled in. You might as well have read the book going into it. So next week we're going to be doing a um, look at controversial animators Ralph Bakshi's version of Lord of the Rings from the early 80s. Even though it's called Lord of the Rings, it only covers the first eh, two books or so of the series. And Ralph Bakshi, Bakshi has a very different animated style than what you see in this Rankin-Bass The Hobbit with rotoscoping and such. Again, that'll be interesting to talk about. So, this is Uncle Milkshake with the Sequel Cast. Visit the website at SequelCast.com Send us an email at SequelCast at gmail.com or visit the Twitter at Twitter.com slash SequelCast. This is Uncle Milkshake Jersey, Jersey Jason and Thrasher. How should we close it with, boys? Roads go ever, ever on under cloud and under star Yet feet that wandering have gone 